Hello and welcome again to the um, podcast or YouTube video. I'm not sure exactly what we're calling it, but welcome to our February 14th edition of the Encounter Study. It is Transfiguration Sunday this week, and our scripture passage comes from Luke 9, and that is the instance of Transfiguration um, with Jesus and the uh, Moses and Elijah. But we'll get into that. Before we do, just a couple things to bring to your attention. Uh, our moderator of the General Assembly, uh, Sheila O'Mara, has asked the denomination to observe February uh, 17th as a denominational day of prayer. Uh, so we did that last year, which we called uh, Pray Fast Act, but this year is kind of a little different. It's not something that we did as a whole denomination, but our moderator has asked that our churches join in prayer for our country, for unity, for reconciliation, and, and for, um, you know, for us to have a, a good focus going forward and that the church can play a role in that reconciliation and redemption of, and of our society. The other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, the YAP app. So you might have seen on Facebook or some other social medias that we're doing a Lent devotional. So starting on uh, February 17th, you can download this YAP app, and then you'll, you'll have to subscribe to the I think it's CPYC, isn't it? Is that what it's called? I don't, I don't remember what it is. Yeah, uh, well, I will have it uh, linked up on our resources, exactly uh, what you need to do to get that. But basically what it is, is kind of a, uh, it's going to be a devotional type uh, resource that you can follow throughout Lent. There's going to be a little caveat on Sundays. Uh, we're going to have a, a video um, time of um, uh, devotion. Devotion. Uh, done by Reflection. Reverend Zardy. And then uh, then the rest of the week will be just kind of focusing on that Sunday's devotion and, and then fleshing it out throughout the week. And so anyway, I will have that linked up. And the last thing I'm going to talk about is remember, we also have our evotions that happen year round that you can um, go to cpcmc.org forward slash evotions. That's E-V-O-T-I-O-N-S. And then you can check those out. You can also find those on Facebook and various and sundry places, but that's all the introducing I'm going to do today. And so we'll go ahead and turn our attention to Luke chapter nine. I'm going to have our prayer for illumination. And if you will join with me, O oh Lord, on this Sunday of transfiguration, we pray that your light would pour over these pages and illumine these old, old words, that they would dance with newness in our hearts and minds, that we would be radiant in reflecting your word in our, in our living and serving one another. Amen. So the scripture selection specifically is Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 45. And the memory verse for this week then is verse 35. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. That's a good one. All That's right. One. Reverend Becky is our writer for today. So I'm going to ask her to lead us in our introduction here. What do you have for us today on this kind of weird passage we're used to but it's weird it, it is a weird passage when you really read it and think about what is happening here all i could see was this movie plague in my mind and i thought well, this would make a great hollywood film you've got these guys trudging up the side of the hill they get up there and then at some point in time this cloud kind of comes in and the one guy starts glowing and then two people show up out of nowhere you know i mean it's just it's kind of a, a crazy scenario if you really think about it. Um, and that's really what we talk about in the introduction. But it's a supernatural occurrence because we serve a supernatural God. 
uh, he created nature. He created everything that we see around us. And he's not necessarily bound by the laws that we have of nature and time and space. And so things happen in the scripture that really are sometimes hard to deal with when we're looking at um, ourselves personally and our natural world around us. Because some of these things can't be explained. Um, and sometimes that's really hard for us to list. And this is one of those instances where something unusual occurs. And so how do we deal with that? All right. Logan, you want to comment on that one? Well, I mean, I think that that about covers it. I mean, I, I, here's the thing. We get into these discussions about, we get into these discussions about how, you know, does the supernatural happen? Does, does God still do these things? And it, I think it messes with our worldview whenever we encounter things that we can't explain, whether good or bad. Um, but we fall into this trap of believing that whenever we read those supernatural occurrences in scripture that, you know, oh, well, that was just for them back then. And in that day, right. we live in a new dispensation that won't open up that can of worms, but um, we live in a time where we have the full canon of God's word now. And so because we have the full canon, we don't need these supernatural expressions. Well, that's faulty thinking because nowhere in the canon of Scripture does it say that God is going to stop doing those things. Mm -hmm. and, and what's really inconsistent, I think, is whenever you have people who say things like, oh, well, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't read Harry Potter or whatever because you'll open up some kind of demonic doorway and then... Um, and then we say that God doesn't heal anymore. We say that God doesn't deliver anymore. We say that people don't, don't have gifts of the yeah. spirit anymore. Um, well, if you believe that the devil can do, can do weird stuff and you, and if you believe that the devil can do supernatural things, why don't you believe that God can do supernatural things? Why don't believe you believe that God can do the miraculous? It just doesn't make sense. Um, so, I, I mean, I could tell you stories of accounts of healings and things that I've seen and things that I've experienced that I knew it was God. Right. I and think, let me. So, like, one of the things that you said here, uh, bottom of the last paragraph of that section, because we live in a Western culture where we explain away everything with science many of us tend to dismiss the supernatural occurrences recorded in scripture. And then I've always thought, you know, science, whatever, it tells us a why or a how, but never a why is what, I mean, like, so that's the sure. thing, like, just because you know how something works doesn't mean that you necessarily know why it happened why it occurred. That, yeah. that way. Mm. And, and I think that's kind of, you know, I mean, like it, we just, maybe it's because we don't want to look foolish. Like we believe these old things can happen, but, Right. I had a professor in college who said, you know, people 2000 years ago weren't stupid. They didn't just believe that people jumped up from the dead. They didn't, but you know, like, right. I mean, one of the reasons why it was a miracle that somebody jumped up from the dead is because it didn't happen. People didn't believe right. it happened all the time. Right. And right. so like we do a disservice to people when in our pride, we think that we're really smart. I mean, these, this, the reason these were recorded in scripture is because they didn't believe it could happen, but it did. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> right. Right. So, exactly. yeah. And then I think we 
get it. I think we fall into that trap too, whenever we read. And of course I won't open up this can of worms either, but I think we fall into that trap when we read the first two chapters of Genesis. We think whenever we're reading Genesis one and two, that we're act that we're reading a scientific account of creation mm-hmm. and we're not yeah. God right. in, in Genesis one and two gives us the why of creation. Right. It gives us the why of everything around us, but it doesn't give us the how. Yeah. And it's not supposed to give us the how. Yeah. We, we, a lot of times, I think you brought up, and I think the point's good. A lot of times we just simply come, we come at scripture with our, with our cultural assumptions. Yes. And then we, we don't allow, you know, the original context to, or the original right. understanding things. We, it's hard, but it's not, I don't think we do it on purpose all the time. It's just, the, no, I don't think so. I think it's just kind of, the way we look at things because we look at things from our world point of view from our perspective um you know i was reading the other day and logan you bring up a great point about the creation um i was listening to a pastor and and reading when we think of creation when we think of god created the world what do you think of you think of this little blue sphere right because that's what we understand our world to be is this blue sphere well when did we understand that we lived on a sphere. Yeah. That wasn't that terribly long ago. It really you know, wasn't. so when so when you think about these ancient cultures who looked at creation, when they read that God created the earth, they weren't thinking a little blue tiny dot out in the middle of the universe. That's not how they that's not how they read it. That's not how they understood it to mean. And, and all too often when we read scripture, we put our little bubble, our little worldview of how we understand things onto that page. And that's not, that's not the original intent that it was written. That's not how the original audience understood it. And, and we need to remember that we need to look back and, and try to understand how they would have saw it so that we can interpret it better. Yeah, Kel sure. should keep faithful. I mean, you know, and and I'll say this too, like whatever people like in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, there's a broad diversity of ideas when it comes mm-hmm. to creation or anything, really. And and I don't think I, I don't want to pick fights with nobody, except to yeah. say, like, I think you know, the why behind things is more important than the how. Uh, because the how oftentimes that's the that's the lens which you come at something like yeah. just, and it's hard to think sometimes. I Last thing I'll say on this is just just recently I was having a conversation like a lot of Eastern cultures and Eastern religions understand time cyclically and then Westerners understand time linearly. Mm-hmm. And to even try to explain that to students is terribly hard because we are so packed yeah. into the linear timeline. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it, right. I ended up having just to send five or six journal articles to the kid because there was no way that I could explain it because it's just hard right. to explain and, and do. That and, I, and another can of worms I won't open up, but I'll briefly mention is I think that's why dispensationalism has such a hold on in American cultures because it's a very linear eschatology yeah. where, right. you know, th- these things are going to happen at these times in the future. Whereas, whereas the more biblical positions of amillennialism or postmillennialism is very circular yeah it's tough we it's hard for us to understand and so like I, my, the the way i'll i'll end this is simply by saying like we're all on a journey and we're all trying to be faithful but like at least understand that we do come at it 
at things with a particular lens and, and, and it's so ingrained we can't imagine people think something else um, yes. so anyway we'll go with that but hey guys a good like, introduction I, um i know i know we're like in the middle of recording but my ipad just randomly told me it was dying oh gotcha <laughs> we will we'll see you here in a second all right just <laughs> a second <laughs> um so anyway the exploring the scripture um historical content that's where we'll go off yeah. to um what were you going for there i really wanted to point out right. because i don't think it really occurred to me until i was doing the research for this about the significance of mountains and not only in other cultures and other contexts but here in our own scripture how many times do we have something awesome and amazing and an encounter with God taking place on a mountain? And it's really important for us to recognize all these different mountains and the significance of that and the significance that it would have been speaking to the audience then, because that's where a lot of times they worshiped was on mountains, high places. Um, you see several times in scripture, where Jesus goes off onto a mountain to pray to God um, by himself. And here in the transfiguration, we have another occurrence where he went up on a mountain and to meet God and to speak with Elijah and Moses. And so the mountains are incredibly important um, for many reasons. One, that's where the scripture tells us that we meet God. But two, if you think about our significance, um, here in Western Kentucky, we don't really have any mountains, but when we go to the Smoky Mountains or the Rocky Mountains or uh, whatever mountain range whatever. you go to, it's it's amazing. It's it's awe-inspiring. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, and Clingman's Dome, help. that's what it is. Everybody wants to go to Clingman's Dome and in, in Gatlinburg in because that's yes. the highest point. Yep. yep. The Appalachia Mountains around there somewhere. No, that is part of the, it's part of the chain. Yeah, that's part of that chain, yeah. So when you, I mean, and it's just beautiful and it's, and I think it gives you a perspective uh, that God is just amazing when you can look up and, and recognize us. Mountains in scripture. I mean, like, again, this is one of those things to where it's hard for us to understand. I'll give you the illustration for this. Like uh, me and my wife uh, went to Vegas three, four years back. I, I went to Vegas with my family for graduation. I don't know why for my high school graduation, my family was like, let's go. That's interesting. All right, cool. Let's go. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I remember the first time when I flew down into Vegas, um, got out of the, you know, the airport's kind of a little farther away. But, but anyway, Vegas, when you're there, you know, it's like this world where you have right here, like the Emerald City, and then you have like this castle kingdom. And then right down there, you have like the Luxor with the, with the pyramid, right? And then you just, all these amazing buildings, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. But in the background, you see the, this, I guess it's the Sierra Nevada mountains is what it is. And so you yeah, see yeah, this okay. human effort at glitz and glamour and it's oppressive, but it's just swallowed by those mountains. And you think, ah, now, you know, you're like, oh, the grandeur of God, you see the creation of human beings. And then you see the grandeur of God and you're like, ah, so mountains. That, but what I was saying, we, we like live in a world where like there's skyscrapers with 130 floors, right? And we can go up to like Sears, whatever it is now, whatever that tower, Willis yeah. Tower, I guess is what it is now in Chicago. Yeah. But anyway, you can look out. But you're talking about people who just, you know, 
I didn't have that. And then you come upon mountains or you come upon these massive yeah. things and you don't, there's all you can do is look up and be like, wow. And so yeah. I think that's, just, it's an awe inspiring thing. And I think that yeah. might be a little bit as to why mountains played such a integral part in religions or, you know, especially um, as you said, like Moses on the mountain or the Mount of Transfiguration or what on, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, and and I think we'd be remiss too if we didn't mention uh, the passage in Hebrews twelve, where the author of Hebrews is writing there, and and he says that you have not come to a, a mountain with a blazing fire and smoke, and and he's describing Mount Sinai where Moses was, but then he says instead you have come to Mount Zion, the the New Jerusalem, the the place of you know, the the Church of the Living God, and. Um, so mountains are there to show us where God meets with his people. Yeah. And one of the things I think is interesting about that passage is he, he describes Mount, Mount Sinai. Then he describes Mount Zion and he describes the, the points of the two major points in the, in the grand covenant of God. So Mount Sinai is the covenant where, uh, it, I mean, we're under one covenant of grace, but this is the but this is the part of the covenant that emphasizes the law and emphasizes the the command of God and the holiness of God. And then we come to Mount Mount Zion, where we see the the love of God and the grace of God. Um, and Mount Mount Zion is that place or that area where God gathers His covenant covenant people. And so it's described as the church. It's described as the new Jerusalem. And so when you get into Revelation, you read about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Well, that's the new Jerusalem isn't simply heaven. The new Jerusalem, it's it's like the Revelation actually says it's like a bride adorned for her husband. He's describing yeah. the church. Yeah. This is the this is the church uh, being the city on a hill, and in between and in between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion is the mount of the skull where jesus was crucified mm -hmm. and so you you don't get from mount sinai to mount zion without going through jesus mm -hmm. that's, um, good. that's good and i would also throw in just for the context of it i mean like if you have elijah there of course one of the characteristics or one of the main stories of elijah is his battle with prophets on mount carmel so in a sense you have the mount sinai giving of the law then you have this mount carmel where the prophets overcome the 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 evil and then you have the two combined where in on 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 mount uh, help me out here trans the mount of transfiguration no gee, golgotha no. there you go golgotha oh, there you go. Yeah. um so you have mount sinai you have mount carmel and then you have both of those fulfilled and uplifted in in the sacrifice of christ and then you have mount zion right so in some right. sense mountains are like bookmarks um yeah or maybe uh you know man that'll bridge all day long there, there are connecting points yeah, yeah as we're going on our path up and down the mountain those are right. our connecting points to get to. for you preachers who don't use the lectionary that's like a sermon series waiting to happen it really <laughs> is it really yeah. is and uh you heard it here I'm first it. I'm <laughs> yeah <still in> it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, mountains seem to play a pretty big point. And up until we've had this discussion, I didn't even think of it in that way, but it does, it, they, they unfold the redemption of God, uh, in the mm -hmm. story of redemption. So good stuff there. Ooh, I get chills thinking about that. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm liable to have a spell as the old Pentecostals <laughs> would say. That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, we did ask, uh, or one of the questions that, that is the discussion question is, 
uh, the discuss part is how much does it matter to our Christianity for us to know where biblical events occurred? How do you react to new information that challenges long held traditional beliefs? I mean, I think what we just did, I mean, like mountains have historical significance for sure. And yeah. they help tell the story. So mm-hmm. um, what about anything? Um, I don't know if you get into revelation, depending on your, I mean, like where battlefields well, are pretty important. Right. That's true. I think, you know, for, for me personally, I'm a very image oriented person, very visual. And so when I get the opportunity to really see where something happened, it helps me envision the story that I'm reading better. I can see what's going or what's taking place in the scripture because I can see where, where it's happening at. And I think that helps, um, you know, there's a lot of artistic kind of visual oriented people like me in our church. And, and that helps those of us to really understand the scripture better and to be able to kind of walk through it better when we can see where these things have happened, when we can really understand that. And it does, I think for me, you know, y'all were just talking, we were just talking about this, but the idea that the mountains just kind of connect us together, you know, and that, that storyline and that whole arc of what God is doing. Um, wow. That can be very, very powerful and impactful. Um, and sometimes that new information can be very challenging, um, especially if it's something that you've really held solid to. And when somebody says, right, maybe that's not exactly how that works. Um, that can be very challenging for us to overcome. Well, I would say what we started with to say that our cultural assumptions have to be challenged. That in and of itself, I think is a, is a, our, our assumptions are long held beliefs, but I mean, yes. in order to be uh, faithful and expositors, if you will, sometimes we have to challenge our, 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 mm-hmm. I won't say our beliefs, but I, it, that is true. We do have to challenge or at least our assumptions yeah. to see where that is to see if we form new beliefs on things. Right. Yeah. Or how we see it, how it, how that plays out. You know, sometimes that challenge changes how we see what's taking place. Yeah, yeah. I would say so. Anything else on that one you wanted to bring up? Good. I do want to recap, though. We do now have a sermon series for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and that is actually, I mean, really, I mean, like it was a new idea to me. Like I've never seen the mountaintop experiences as connected in that way. So mm-hmm. I have learned or my mind has been broadened. You've been illumined. That. Right. <laughs> I have to think on these things. Oh, women. That's great. If I would have made that joke, it would have been offensive. Yeah. We're going to go to the digging deeper section now, and we're going to compare <laughs> scripture with scripture. Um, so uh, tell us what you're going for here, the digging deeper section. You know, we keep running into a Moses and Elijah right. all through this whole section. We keep running into Moses and Elijah. And that's really what I was going for in this section was an understanding that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. And it is, it is physically being fulfilled in this moment. You have this physical vision of it, um, that you have Moses and you have Elijah, and now you have these two stories that are coming together and now that coming into Christ, who is the new Exodus 
Um, you know, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. Jesus is leading us out of our bondage, um, freeing us from our slavery and leading us to the promised land, to heaven. Um, and it's important that we need to recognize that these are parallel stories and these are things that are taking place and the way they're taking place is significant, that it wasn't coincidence, um, that it was designed this way um, so that we would recognize and see these parallels in scripture. Yeah, and, and we've said this before in the past. The thing that I, when you see the old, so you have God looks down upon Abraham, one person, right? And he begins this journey of redemption, right, for the whole world. But what he does mm-hmm. starts with Abraham and then goes to, you know, that expands to the Israelite people. Mm-hmm. You have an exodus where you're in bondage coming to a promised land, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have this one person, Jesus Christ. You want to call him the chosen person, the son of God, whatever. And now it's going backwards to, to God, right? I mean, it's going, so mm-hmm. you have this journey to the physical promised land and then you have Jesus Christ being risen up. And then we have this journey to a new promised land where mm-hmm. we're freed from bondage. It yeah. trains us the story. The old Testament is training us to understand this new spiritual reality that Jesus Christ is bringing in. Like we, so when like the writer of Hebrews talks about our heritage or whatnot, our heritage is the story of God redeeming God's people. And we find it And the, the way I would illustrate, okay. So if you ever watch star Wars, once you get like star Wars, not the middle two, take those Mm -hmm. out, the Anakin Skywalker ones. But if you go like, you know, the first three chronologically, um, by the time you get to the ninth movie, you're like, I bet this movie is going to be about a Death Star. Like, that is the story, right? So, like, they're building the Death Star. They got to blow up the Death Star. They blew up the Death Star. In some sense, I mean, it was it's a repeat, but it adds yeah. more information as we go. And so right. that's kind of what's happening. You had what we saw in, with Abraham and the Israelites. Now we understand fully, truly, and, and eternally with Jesus Christ and the people of God. Right. Well, you know, whenever someone recalls the truth and tells the story over and over again, they always, if you if you ask them to tell the story, then turn around and tell the story again. They'll if they're telling the truth, they'll add more detail as they continue to remember it. Yeah. So, yeah, that, it's it's so it's so fascinating. Whenever you think about it like that, I I love watching um, I love watching the show Bull on CBS, and uh, he's basically a trial analyst who works with lawyers to get juries together for trials and it sounds boring but it's actually a really interesting show and uh the main character jason bull he was interviewing this defendant who was accused of murder and he sat down with him to he visited him in prison and he sat down with him to see if he actually did it he told him he had him to tell the story of what happened and then after he got done telling the story he said all right i'll tell it again He told the story. He said, okay, tell him again. He had him tell the story three times. And he said, I know you're telling the truth. And he said, well, how do you know I'm telling the truth? Because no one believes me. He said, you're telling the truth because you didn't contradict yourself, but you added more detail every time you told it. He said, if it were were a complete lie, then it would just be the same story over and over again with the exact same details. Right. And so, yeah, if you view it in that way, I mean, in some sense, the Exodus, the original Exodus, it's that happened way, way long ago. Then you have Mm -hmm. thousands of years for the Hebrews to think about the Exodus. And then you have Jesus Christ. 
And then we have thousands of years to reflect on those things. And so like we're, we're adding layers upon layers of our understanding of how God works and how God redeemed us and, and, and all these good things. So that's well, right. It's all, it's all leading to a grand fulfillment. Right. Right. Yes. Um, so each, each time it gets closer and closer to the fulfillment, there's more, there's more detail, there's more clarity. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, someone asked, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just remembering all these things. Uh, someone asked Doug Wilson to explain why the Bible repeats itself. The, the story repeats itself so many times. And he said, well, it's because God is an author who likes to rewrite stories, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And each new generation, you know, needs to be reminded and, and walk through the process again, you know? As I, as I remind myself and my people often, we are forgetful people, just like the Israelites were. And we have to be reminded of this story over and over and over again and how awesome and great our God is and that well, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. And what's crazy is we, I guess in our Western culture, we, we, we're always looking for the new, we're always looking for the fresh, the exciting, yeah. and we just need to go back to what's old and time-tested. And, and, you know, I have a friend who, I have a friend who is trying to integrate liturgy and trying to integrate uh, more traditional, more traditional liturgy into his church like they're already kind of traditionalists, like they sing hymns and stuff, but they don't hardly do responsive readings. They don't say the Apostles' Creed. Uh, they don't do the, the liturgical calendar. And he's trying to find a way to integrate those things into uh, his church. And so, uh, and the reason being is, the reason he's having such a hard time with it is because there's people in his church who are like, yeah, but do we have to do this every Sunday? Do we have to do it? You know, Well, yeah, we have to do it every Sunday. There, there's glory in repetition yeah. yeah, and we don't get that. That's, you know, we do in everything, but our church, I guarantee right. you, everybody that wakes up has the same routine, whether it's so, waking up late, stumbling to the shower, trying to get some coffee. Right <laughs> I mean, we all have the same routines every single day. And if they got interrupted right. or like COVID has done, like I'm going yes. fat crazy because I can't there. My, I have no schedule. I have some work stuff, but I don't get to leave the house. I don't get to do the things that are familiar to me. And, and it's, it's a challenge because it's. Yeah. Really, that's a really good point. Oh <sighs> yeah. What's, what's crazy is I'm kind of going through the same thing. Like every day when my wife and I get up, we only have one car. So I'll go and drop my wife off. And my typical routine before COVID was I drop my wife off. I go get my laptop Bible and sit at the coffee shop and do sermon prep. Well, now I drop my wife off and it's like, okay, everything's closed. Um, go back to the house, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, we like that routine. We are we are by nature creatures of habit. And and doing the same things over and over in our worship, repeating the same story over and over throughout scripture helps us retain that information and keeps us moving in the right direction. It's when we break that habit that we run into problems. Um, One other thing that I would just bring up is the uh, parallels that you brought out with Moses Mm -hmm. when he has to come down from Mount Sinai and the people have just been stupid, whatnot. So Deuteronomy chapter 32, five. Oh, I love that story. Yeah, right. Um, Or Deuteronomy 35, 20. 
32.5, where Moses says, they are corrupt and not his children to their shame. They are warped in a crooked generation. And then 35.20 says, I will hide my face from them, for they are perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. And of course, when Jesus comes down, after this mm-hmm. just glorious thing that has happened and that everybody yeah. is, and then they're like, ah, oh, we can't do this. And then what does Jesus say? He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Right. right? And so like, yeah. I think that shows something of our human vulnerabilities and just failures. Um, when we're in the midst of glory, um, boy, we can just mess it up. This is what we well, do. I- I think it's funny that we read story uh, stories like the Exodus story, and we read the prophets and like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and we think, "Huh, those people are stupid. Look at them getting into idolatry." When in reality, it's like the Spider-Man meme, we, where we're just staring at each other, going, "You too." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We do the same things. Over and over again. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I knew of a CP church that was going to do a Bible study over Jeremiah on Wednesday nights and they got about four chapters into it and they stopped because they're like, because they literally said, Oh, this is irrelevant. And those people are just stupid. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I mean, they didn't say it in those exact words, but that was basic reasoning. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I mean, it's it's hard. And but hey, but I'll say this too. Like, so committed study, like studying scripture takes commitment. And there's gonna be times, but I've learned you dig deep enough, you'll find some life sustaining, spiritual sustaining yeah. nourishment, uh, for sure. Yeah. But anywho. All right, let's go on to learning from the scripture. Um, this this one I really, really appreciate it. I mean, I, I think this was yeah. the best section of, of this study, and, and it just so happened I have some contemporary thoughts on this because of a okay. But anyway, you tell us what you were going for. Yeah. So learning from the scripture, you know, this was a supernatural occurrence. Um, we are meant to see parallels between the lives of Moses and Elijah, but I think where my brain was really going was how many times do we just explain stuff away Uh, in in our Western culture, in our Western thinking, because we are so sophisticated um, and have so much science-backed information, uh, you know, we're just very quick to dismiss things that happen in our day-to-day lives. Um, You know, I think one of the examples I used in here was when somebody goes to the doctor and they get a medicine or they have a surgery and it's taken care of, you know, like, Oh, the doctor did a great job, but where's the glory for God? Um, you know, where, where was God working in this event? It wasn't just the doctor. Um, it was God giving us the information that we needed to make this prognosis, to make this decision. Um, and that supernatural stuff, happens all the time we just don't recognize it we're trained not to and like i said it might be because we just don't want to look unsophisticated like you said maybe we don't want to be one of those people right like those religious nuts but so what happened to me this (laughs) week was one of my church ex-church members uh sent me a text message and said why did god lose his flair for the dramatics and I said, well, what do you mean? 
she's like, well, you know, you don't have people who say that they've heard from God or they're speaking, you know, like the prophets of old, or you don't have things like fire on mountains and all that good stuff. And, and my response to her was, well, who says we don't? Because if you have ever, like, if, if you ever get in a conversation with somebody that says things like, well, God told me yesterday, or God said this, God said that, your first thought is, don't really <laughs> want to talk to them. Don't and make so eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Sign. Yeah. And so here's one thing. I sometimes get um, get accused of being Catholic sympathizers, but like the, the Catholic Church can at least recognize saints, like St. Francis. Who's, who says St. Francis didn't have a constant communion with God, right? He did amazing right. things. He, right. he, he was amazing. Joan of Arc, her story. Um, got burned at a stake, didn't she, for being a witch, right? Like, yep, so yep. who says that God isn't speaking? And it's not as though, like, every every time you turn the page in the Old Testament that just massive amount of people were hearing from God. Most of the time it was a prophet, and God spoke through the prophet. And then people had to determine as to whether they would believe the prophet or not believe the prophet, right? right. It, well, yeah. that and he, there were even times when, like in Lamentations, for example, Jeremiah accused God of being silent. Yes. Yeah. And and so, like, I guess in one sense, <clears throat> maybe believers kind of want to hear this constant flow of God's, but he never worked that way. Like, even in the Old Testament, there's not, that just, he spoke, God spoke through, through prophets or whatnot. Very rarely right. do you have the whole community. And then the other thing I would say, and this I, I want to be sensitive to, uh, natural disasters, we're quick to say that, you know, that's not, it just happens. But it happened back in the Old Testament, and they ascribed earthquakes to God. They ascribed, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or, you know, natural events to the working of God. And how it happens, mm -hmm. I don't know, but just to simply say that, um, this couldn't come from God. It was just nature. That's a choice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess that's what I'd say there. It's just a choice. Right. I mean, how do you choose? Right. Like, and I've, I've, in my own life, I have decided that I'm simply going to choose that things are of God. So like, yeah, I'm one right. of those people I used to criticize. If I need to go to the bathroom and I find a good place at Walmart to park, that's not going to take me 20 years to get in. Praise God. Right. Like, thank you, Lord. I'm just going to praise you. <laughs> And I'm going to choose by faith to say that God is, is providential. However it came about, right. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's where I'm at yeah. on these things. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to find it, and I can't find it. But there is a passage in the book of Amos where um, Amos, the prophet, where God speaks through Amos, the prophet, and he says, does not calamity come on a city, and, I'm, and am I not the one who caused it? Right. Well, how do you get too. around that? Yeah. Right. right. And how do you get right. around that? Yeah. Right. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, like, so like when things happen, we're just quick to assign it to a natural cause, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Obviously it was natural. It happened, but why mm -hmm. it happened and when it happened, that mm -hmm. divine providence can play into these things. And just to simply discount it, I don't appreciate, but, right. um, and Logan, I'll give you a, a minute or two to, uh, talk about you come from a pentecostal background your grandfather was a pentecostal preacher right mm -hmm. and like in the Cumberland presbyterian church we don't have like a set uh, we don't have a set like in our confession or anything about the gifts of the spirit 
but you know, again, because we're criminal Presbyterians, we have people who say, no, God did never stop doing miraculous mm-hmm. things. And then you have other folks who say, no, God's never stopped doing miraculous things, but he did stop these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So anyway, yeah, I, I would like to hear spectrum. your, yeah. Yeah. So I am very reformed in my thinking. Uh, the problem with a lot of other reformed theologians is that they're, they're cessationists, which if you're not familiar with the term that a cessationist is someone who believes that the gifts of the spirit, like the, the, uh, the gifts healing of the spirit prophecy. ceased, yeah. right. Healing prophecy, things like Tongue. that, that those things stopped either with the early church or with the closing of the canon. Um, and I can't really see that in scripture. Um, and given, especially in my own experience, um, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, and maybe, maybe my reformed friends will complain about this. I don't know, but I'm one of those guys that perpetuates the idea that we need to use the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral to determine what's true and what's not. That's the found Wesleyan, a home in Cumberland Presbyterianism. Yeah. So the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral says that you should determine what's true based on scripture, reason, um, history tradition and experience and so scripture is the foundation of that quadrilateral by the way Mm -hmm. so in my own experience growing up pentecostal i've seen things and i've experienced things that i know are from god and you can't tell me that that stuff has has stopped um my grandmother had a severe problem with migraine headaches ever since she was a little girl like whenever she would get a migraine headache it would disable her for a day or two and and she would feel nauseous and get sick to her stomach and it was just awful and she told me that um she was at a service one time i think where my grandpa was preaching and she was up there playing the piano and there was a guy who was another who was a preacher who was at the service and he just walked up to my grandma and he said i really feel like god wants me to anoint you with oil and pray for you and he didn't pray speci- he didn't pray specifically for anything but she had a headache like a pounding migraine headache she could feel it coming on and whenever he prayed for her the headache just immediately went away and she said she's never had a migraine since then wow that's amazing and, and that was years ago right, right. Um, and i think to discount those things there's no reason to like really right. there's no reason to Right. Probably something natural happened in her body, something physiological, something. But it happened when somebody, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It happened when somebody prayed. You know, coming from the background that I've come from with the Church of Christ, where we are very much um, cessationists. Were. You were. Were (laughs) cessationists. That the idea that God could do that sort of stuff today was almost. Um, frightening, quite terrifying, in fact, Um, you know, because, again, my worldview was my natural elements around me, and they all worked in a prescribed manner. Um, And the idea that something could work outside of that, I think, was, was scary. I mean, I I would read it in the Bible. I'm like, okay, well, that happened then. But today, that doesn't, you know, uh, and it's, and it's been hard for me to come out of that mindset but I was just thinking about what you were saying and it's amazing um, because there have been times when like I've been at a store or I remember one time I went to go visit somebody at a hospital and I was coming down in the elevator with a friend of mine and this woman was standing in the elevator with us and I just felt the spirit telling me, 
I need to go pray for her. And I'm like, you know, I'm looking at my friend, like, is she whispering something in my ear? And I'm going, what is now? I don't know who this person is. Why would I do that? That's scary. That's freaky. They're going to think I'm nuts. And when we got off the elevator, it was so strong. Like I was almost nauseated to the point where I had to go do this. And so I walked up to her and I said, ma'am, I said, I don't know you. I know you don't know me, but I really feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. Is that okay? And she's like, yes, absolutely. And so I prayed for her and she just wept. I have no idea. I have no idea who she was. Um, But, you know, those little moments like that are still just amazing God moments as well, that he is still working through us for his people. I I have a couple more stories and I'll try to keep it at a minimum, but I I just, these two stories are just so profound. Um, The first one, um, this, I'm going to say kids don't try this at home. Uh, Pastors don't do this in your church. My grandpa did something while he was holding a revival one time that I would never do unless God spoke to me through a talking donkey and a burning bush at the same time. Um, But my grandpa, he, uh, felt really strong, like through this revival, he was fasting and praying the whole time. And he felt strongly led of the Lord to get this uh, like barrel and cut the bottom off the barrel and fill the bottom of this barrel up with water. Like it's like a small kid's pool. And he painted the words pool of Bethesda on it. And he used it and like he uses props sometimes whenever he preaches to illustrate a point. But he got this little bottom of a barrel, painted the words Pool of Bethesda on it. He filled it up with water and set it right in front of the, the, the pulpit when he was preaching. And he preached about Mark 5, about uh, the Pool of Bethesda, the guy getting in. And he said, I really feel strongly led of the Lord that if you will take your shoes off and stand in this pool and let, us, and let me and the pastors pray for you, you'll be healed. There were four, I think four or five people that got instant healings that night. And there was one woman who was diagnosed with terminal cancer, given six months to live. And she got in the pool and they prayed for her. She went back to her doctor and later reported she was cancer free. Wow. Wow. The like, so yeah, you can't tell me that's not a God thing. Right. Um, And then um, the second thing that happened was this last December, I was planning I was planning to preach on something. I don't even remember what I was planning to preach on, but um, it was around Advent and um, I laid down, I'd got my sermon almost done and I just was so swamped from the, from the week that I, I just thought, okay, I'll lay down on Saturday for a nap. And when I get up, I'll just throw my sermon together real quick. It won't be a big deal. And which is not something I normally do, but, I laid down for a nap and I had this dream that I was standing in the pulpit of my church or a church somewhere. I was just in a pulpit and my Bible was open and I read the words, but you have forgotten the Lord in my Bible. And I was just hammering that point, but we've forgotten the Lord. We need to repent. And I was just going at it full speed in my dream. And when I woke up, I thought, okay, well, that was odd. I've dreamed about preaching before because, you know, I'm a preacher. But um, I, got to the, I got to my computer in my office, and I looked up, out of curiosity, I just looked up the words, but you have forgotten the Lord. And it took me to Isaiah, 
52, I think. And I began wailing and weeping because it was like, it was the exact words I saw in my dream. Wow. And my wife actually came in the office was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, that's what I saw in my dream. And so I threw together my outline real quick and I, that's what I preached. That That's what I had to preach the next morning about how we've forgotten the Lord and we need to repent. And I want to tell you that I preached that and we had a fantastic altar call. Everything got saved. Everyone got saved and revival broke out. But I, but I preached that and I thought, okay, well, that's not as dramatic as what I thought it would be. And I got done and gave an altar call. No one responded. And then as we were, as we dismissed the service and people were leaving, there were like two or three people who were weeping as they left. And they were talking to my wife because they, they were like, he, I needed to hear that. That's, wow. that's what I needed to hear. And so it was, it was, God was doing something, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then when I have this, like, I've, oh, I'll, I've never spoken tongues not once but i am not uncomfortable with other people doing it and the reason why like we've kind of hinted to earlier the true miracle of the gospel is that terrible people can become children of god and your heart can be changed right. that's yes. the biggest miracle that can ever like somebody speaking in tongues they don't know that seems minute compared to me loving someone else and not me yes. right like yeah i would just say that what can God not do if God can save your soul and transform you? Like, mm -hmm. why put a chain on it at that point? Yeah. And I, and I, so I do believe. And then I would also say that the act of preaching with the Holy Spirit aiding our meager offerings, that's an amazing thing. And if it's tongue or if it's prophecy or I mean, why there should be no, it might feel uncomfortable and you might not be called to do it, but maybe that ain't for you, but it is for like, somebody else. Here's the right. thing. Here's my here, people who I think it's ironic that people who believe that the gifts have passed away can get up in the pulpit, preach and their sermons have power. Right. Cause they're not that good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no offense to anybody. So, like if you're, if you're listening to this, if you're, if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and you think, Oh, that stuff is passed away. That stuff is, is gone. You get up in the pulpit tomorrow morning or whenever you're listening to this, you get up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and you preach the gospel and expound the word. And if there's no power there, then you can call me a liar. Right. That's yeah. the truth. Like preaching is a miraculous act. It really is. Absolutely. Driven by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. I think that's how we have to see it. I mean, I honestly think that we as Christians should not discount the miraculous things and then to i mean you know we don't have to be fanatical i mean we don't have to you know but then well, again well, what know. is what does fanatic mean like saint sure. francis was a fanatic and the world's different because of him or saint patrick or some of these other people like they were fanatics in the world changed because <laughs> they were you know that way like here's the thing you don't have to have that pounding on the pulpit fire and brimstone no. style in order for there to be power in your message right all you have to do is open the bible and let the truth roar like a lion yeah let the holy spirit work get on it amen amen let it loose Woo! <laughs> 
Um, That's awesome. I'm about to have a spell. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works. I'd love some interaction and feedback from people this week. So we'll see. But I mean, I, I just, God is amazing. And like, I don't, I don't get putting, putting the box around God in any way, shape or form. But anyway, we're going to go on to applying the scripture, sharing insight in the covenant community. Um, we probably talked about it a little bit already, but go yeah, ahead. And we tell really, us what we really already have, because it's, yeah. it's really just applying that to our lives today. Um, understanding that God still works in amazing, miraculous ways that, you know, when we read moments like this, where there's a lot of supernatural occurrences with the transfiguration, with demon possession, um, all in our scripture today, we didn't really talk about the demon possession because but there was, there was a boy that was demon possessed that Jesus. I got stories about that too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that this place that we are with our, with God is still the same. He still works in just beautiful and amazing ways. Sometimes we just need to drop our 21st century sophisticated lens and, and recognize that God's working in your life right now. Yeah, your discussion question, uh, the first part of it, how do we deal with skepticism in our lives? I mean, like, just choose to live by faith. Right. And that sounds simple, and it sounds maybe anti-science, but it's not. I mean, like, things happen for a reason, you know, chemical reactions happen, things, uh, you know, lightning comes down because of charges, and they're like, cool, but then God's, you know, God's a providential God in charge of things, and can do miraculous things, and be okay Absolutely. with that. <laughs> yeah. Becky, you mentioned how, you know, we just need to drop our modern thinking. I think N.T. Wright, and I'm, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but N.T. Wright said something really interesting uh, one time. He said that a lot of our problems with the Bible come from us trying to ask 21st century questions to a first century text. Yes. Yeah, Very and, much so. And let me make sure, like, hey, look, good Christianity, good faith, it spurs innovation. It spurs mm-hmm. science. It spurs these good things. Um, and so I don't want us to, I, when we say that, I don't want us to say, okay, we're going to become, you know, third century monks. No, right. that's not what we're going for. But I'm saying just allow the fact that God is amazing to live in your mind and heart and just see what happens. Um, I mean, can we start a cloister though? Because I'd, I'd be for that. <laughs> Ask your wife. I guess we could have the modified <laughs> version, right? Where we could have. No, I am working on a, yeah. an idea yeah. though. At some point in time, um, I tried it at the Margaret Hank Church. Basically, a modern—I call it a missional community. But you, you know, there was about ten people in the church that decided to live live a rule during the week, and then we came together and practiced you know like hospitality or service or whatever that's awesome it was kind of fun and i would like to see that expanded throughout the whole denomination you know like the society the cumberlands or something like that i don't know whatever you want to call (laughs) anyway just the cumberland society of friends right something you know something (laughs) fun to where like just a group says you know we're gonna live like you know a rule of life like you know service hospitality sabbath keep something you know whatever and, and just you know see how the See how we can change our churches, ourselves, our families, these kinds of things. Well, you know, that's how the Methodist, not to not to get on another tangent or anything, but that's how the Methodist movement started. Yeah. Because John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George. The Wesley, Holy Group. Yeah. yeah, the Holy, they, they called themselves the Holy Club. Yeah. And they would get together like once a week or, or once a day. I don't remember which one, but like they would get together and ask themselves 
I think it's 22 or 23 questions every, every time. And you can actually, if you Google Wesley's 22 questions or Wesley's 23 questions, you'll find this list. And it's a good introspective list of questions that you should ask yourself. And if you, I think if you do that, you'll, you'll be better off, man. Yeah. Speaking of that, I'll say this too. So one of the things that I do sometimes is called prayer of examine. One of the, uh, steps that you do in the prayer of exam is to say where were you closest to god or where did you see god today like so every day you ask yourself the question where was god working and in some mm. sense that trains your mind to to look for how god's working and then the cynicism mm. or skepticism or cynicism can can exit mm. because you're you're still seeing god work and you're training your brain to see it and that's pretty important right mm. that's awesome all right, we got anything else? I'm not sure exactly what we accomplished today, except we got a sermon series. God yes. is amazing. Yeah, that's and right. And we should see God and God's working in our in our yeah. lives and in our worlds. Yeah. All right. And um, really think about our discussion question this week, which is yeah. when something seemingly miraculous takes place, do you dismiss it, explain it away, or accept that Jesus is working? All right, thank you. Reverend Becky for the lesson and we'll be back next week. Um, and I can't wait to see you again. I always enjoy our conversations. I hope y'all get as much fun and excitement <laughs> and, and, and education out of it as we do. Um, but anyway, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.